And I trust you'll be encouraged this morning as we look at God's Word. Let's pray and ask for His blessing. Father, we are so grateful that You as Almighty God care about us. Lord, that we can be content in You. Lord, as we look at Your Word this morning, may nothing distract us from the power of Your Word. Lord, may we uh, learn, not just for knowledge's sake, but to live differently because of what You have for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been speaking about trust. In God we trust. Last week we looked at trusting God rather than worrying. And every single one of us struggles with worry. This morning, another area where every single one of us struggles. The area of contentment. There is always something bigger, something newer, something nicer that would just make us fulfilled. According to a 2020 NBC News poll, only 14% of those surveyed considered themselves very happy or content. We're constantly bombarded by a, a litany of things that promise to provide contentment but very few people are content. How can we be content? Well, it's a constant battle. And in Philippians chapter 4, Paul shares about that battle of contentment. And, and last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. Don't worry, but we also referred to Ephesians, or excuse me, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 10, being not worrying, but praying and looking to God. Well, he can, Paul continues on in, beginning in verse 10 of Philippians chapter 4 and shares with us the secret to be content. There are five vital components that he shares that are necessary for contentment. So this morning, as we strive to be content in Christ, let's look at these five different areas, these five different attitudes, these components we need in order to be content. In verse 10, we find that content, or we can only be content believing God's providence. Look at verse 10. It says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. What's he talking about? Well, the church at Philippi had previously supported Paul's ministry, but there had been a long gap in that support, probably about 10 years. Early in his ministry, they supported him. He went, he went through the area of Macedonia, which included Philippi, and, and then he went on to another region. And as he went there, the, the church at Philippi, evidently more than once, supported him, helped him financially to meet the great needs that he had. But now, they're able to support him again at a time of great need. There was a, Paul was in a Roman prison. He had great needs. He had no freedom. He had no ability to work. Remember, he was a tent maker. Not only did he preach the Gospel, but he also served and, and worked to help provide his needs. But here he was stuck in this Roman prison with some great physical needs. And once again, this church at Philippi had reached out to him and supported him. And in that, 
he saw the providence of God. That term providence, we throw it around in church. What does it mean? Providence means to see before. Paul recognized that God was in control and he recognized that God was working in his circumstance to meet his needs. And he could look at at what the church at Philippi had done and recognize God's providence. Early in his ministry, they were able to support, but then for some reason, for, for many years, they weren't able to. But now once again, in a time of great need, we see that they stepped up and, and supported him and encouraged him in the needs that he had. You know, probably one of the, the clearest pictures of a man trusting in God's providence took place in the Old Testament. We, we see the story of Joseph from Genesis 37 through 50. And think about the story of Joseph and God's providence. Here he was. He was the son of Jacob. He had 11 brothers. Everything seemed to be going well. He he was given a coat that that demonstrated royalty and power, but his brothers were very angry with him and very jealous. And so what happened? They sold him into slavery and he was sent to Egypt and, and he began to serve as a slave in the house of Potiphar in Egypt. But you'll notice that as Joseph served in Potiphar's house, it said that God's hand was upon Joseph. Why? Because Joseph stepped up and served honorably because he recognized that God was in control. Even though life didn't seem fair, he trusted God's providence. And so as he's serving Potiphar, Potiphar's wife notices Joseph, a handsome young man, and she wants to have an affair with Joseph. But what happens when when she she corners Joseph in the house when they were alone? It says that that Joseph fled, and then Potiphar's wife became angry and and made up a lie that Joseph was actually the one that was pursuing her, and, and Potiphar put Joseph in prison. But what happened to Joseph in prison? It says that God's hand was upon Joseph, and it says that that Joseph served faithfully in the prison. In fact, to the point where he was put in charge of all the other prisoners. Why could Joseph do that? Because he was confident that God was in control. And God didn't make a mistake putting him as a slave in Potiphar's house. God didn't make a mistake having him be arrested and thrown in an Egyptian prison. And then we see that while there in prison that he met the butler and the baker of Pharaoh who had done some things that Pharaoh did not like and so they were thrown in prison. They had dreams and the butler's dream, he would be restored to his position. The baker's dream, he would be killed and sure enough, that's what happened. But the butler forgot all about Joseph and so for at least two years longer, Joseph spent time in that prison until finally one day, Pharaoh had a dream. No one could interpret it. And the butler remembered this young man in prison, this Joseph. Not quite as young anymore. But sent, but had Pharaoh send for Joseph. And Joseph came and interpreted the dream. And the dream was that there would be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And so through Joseph's wisdom, they collected food during the seven years of plenty. So when the famine came, they could be used to supply food for the world. Why could this all happen? Because Joseph 
trusted the providence of God. And he knew that God could see before. And that even in the horrendous circumstances in which Joseph lived, he knew that God was in control. So they collected during the seven years of of plenty, and then the seven years of famine came, and the people of Egypt and the people surrounding them throughout the world were able to be fed through this, and Joseph's brothers come. They think Joseph is long gone. They think he's probably dead. They sold him into slavery, lost contact with him, obviously. And so they come. They don't recognize the second-in-command of all of Egypt because that's the position Joseph was placed in after he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And so they come, and they're begging for food. They have about 70 people back in their land in Canaan that needed food. Joseph recognized them. But we see that through the amazing story, and as Joseph revealed himself, that he forgave them. How could he forgive them for the horrendous things that they did to him? Because he knew that God was in control. The providence of God. And it says in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, But as for you, Joseph speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. What was Joseph able to do? He was able to recognize the providence of God. Here in in Philippians chapter 4, Paul could see early in his ministry the church at Philippi had helped support him, but then for many years, Their support disappeared and it would have been very easy for Paul to become frustrated or doubt or question, but he knew that God was a provident God, that He was in control of the situation and that God would supply His needs. And we must must recognize this, I can be content when I recognize God's providence. But then we go on in verses 11 and 12 and we see that we can only be content in God's provision. Verses 11 and 12 says this, beginning in verse 11, "...not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need." Paul knew that God could provide his needs and he could trust God. Not only as a God of providence to see before, but as a God of provision to meet the needs that he had. Not exactly in the ways that Paul necessarily thought, but he was confident in the provision of God. It's interesting here in verses 11 and 12, we see the word learned two different times. First in verse 11, it says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And in verse 12, he said, everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. That's actually two different words that we translate into the English learned. But there's two different emphasis in these two different words. In verse 11, the word learned is the idea of learning through experience. Learning contentment is a process. We can't just pray and say, God, help me to be content. Everything's great. 
It's a continual battle, but it's also a process. And as Paul continued to follow God, he was able to be more content as he saw God's provision even in the hard times. Even in those times where he had to question, God, what are you doing? He could still see God's provision. And as we grow in Christ, we can be more content as we continually see the faithfulness of God in providing for us. Whether He's providing for us on the mountaintop or in the bottom of the valley, we can be confident that God is a God who provides. And then in verse 12, he uses the term that we translate learned in a different way. It's actually a different Greek word with a different emphasis. The idea of learning the secrets. And that secret, Paul is describing here in these verses, Paul learned the secret of rising above his circumstances in trusting God in order to be content. He learned that contentment would not be the result of things the accumulation of stuff. And the contentment would not be the result of our circumstances, but instead contentment can take place only in our relationship with God. And Paul recognized that his contentment came in Christ as he trusted Him. In his book, Traveling Light, Max Lucado shares the story of a a short-term missionary who was working with a leper colony on the island of Tobago. And this missionary was leading a worship service, and as he was leading this service, he asked for favorite songs that they would sing. And there was a leper who had a horribly disfigured face, raised a fingerless hand, and requested the song, Count Your Many Blessings. The missionary tells the story. He says they could not finish the song. And so he was talking to someone about this story later on as the missionary was sharing. This person commented to the missionary, says, I suppose you will never be able to sing that song again. The missionary responded, no, I'll sing it again. Just never the same way. God's provision. We look at God's provision and we plan on how God's going to provide. God, I need this and this and this and that and all these things and in this order and in this fashion. But God promises to provide, not necessarily in the way that we think He will or should, but God is faithful in His provision and we can count our many blessings. We must recognize not only do I need to be in recognition of God's providence, but also God's provision in order to be content. I can be content when I trust God's provision rather than any material possessions I desire or circumstances I desire to be in. And then Paul goes on in verse 13 and reminds us to be content through God's power. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This verse is one of the most popular verses in the the Bible. If you see a sign, a series of signs of Bible verses, probably Philippians 4.13 is one of those signs that you're going to see. In fact, did a little research and a 2019 study from Lifeway Research and using the Bible Act, Bible Gateway, 
this verse, Philippians 4.13, was number four on the most looked up verses in Scripture. Anybody want to guess what number one was, just by the way? John 3.16, lots of people, uh, they watch the football games and see it in the end zone right behind as they're kicking the extra point or field goal. John 3.16 is number one. Out of the top 11, six of them are the six verses of Psalm 23. But number four in that list of most looked up verses was Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We like to use that verse. Oh, I'm facing a difficult time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We, we use that verse a lot. But so often, we miss the context of that verse. Why does Paul say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? We need to recognize that the context was how can I live in contentment? Only through God's power. When I attempt to achieve contentment through my own power, I am going to fail miserably. It's only through God and His power that I can be content. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 reminds us that our strength comes through Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. My power, my ability to be content, irregardless of my circumstances, comes when I recognize that only through Christ's strength, through God's power, can I achieve true contentment. I love the promise of Isaiah chapter 40, verses 29-31. Verse 31, another one of the very popular verses in Scripture. But Isaiah 40, verse 29-31 says this, He, God, gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, He increases strength. Now, verse 30, as I get older, I like verse 30 more and more, and as I read it to you, you'll catch why. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, easier as you get older to uh, get a little jealous of the, uh, the younger people, isn't it? But listen to verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What a promise. God is the one who provides our strength. If I want to truly be content, I must rely on the power of God. I must recognize His providence. He's in control. I must understand that He is the one who provides. And I must rely on His power because in my own power, I will fail miserably. But I can be content through Christ's strength. And then we see in verses 14 through 18 that we can be content living with God's perspective. Now, I don't usually try to go and, and have a, you know, all the points begin with the same letter, but this just sort of fell into place. And, and I didn't even steal anybody else's outline. I, this is, came up with myself. I stole some, stole some of their thoughts, but, but not their outline. And, and I had the other four, and I'm like, they all start with P. This is incredible. And so I had to come up with it. So God's perspective. 
I need to think like God wants me to think. I need to have His perspective as I look at my situation, as I look at my circumstances in order to be content no matter what I'm facing. God's perspective. Look at verses 14-18. through Paul says, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the Gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. God's perspective is that I focus on Him and focus on others. When I focus on myself, I will never be content. There will always be something that I feel I am missing. I get a new house, and and what happens? Well, I need to upgrade the furniture. I get a new car, I say, well, it would be really nice if we had a second new one because our second car is a little older. We'll never be satisfied. I guarantee you, Apple is going to come out with a new iPhone that's better than the one you have, and you'll say, boy, I wish I just had the newest one. We will never be satisfied when we're focused on ourselves. Earlier in Philippians, Paul reminds us that we're to have the attitude or the perspective of Christ. Now, in chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, a familiar passage, if you've grown up in the church, you're probably familiar with this passage, begins, "...let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus." who being in the form of God did not think it's something to hold on to, but what did He do? He, became, he was made in the likeness of man, took on the form of a servant, became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And it said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. But the first four verses of Philippians 2 prepare us for that statement to have the mind of Christ. And in verses 3 and 4 of Philippians 2, it says this, "...let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others." I need to take my focus off myself and put it on other people. How am I going to be content? The world says, be content by getting everything you want. Then you will be content. Then you will have arrived. Then you'll be happy. But guess what? God says, no, it's the exact opposite. Don't focus on you and all the things that you want. Rather, focus on others and the things that they need. The people of Philippi faced many difficult circumstances. They faced persecution. They endured great poverty. But they looked beyond their circumstances to serve and to help others. They were known as a very poor church. But yet they were the church that was stepping up to help Paul and others in their needs. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 
we get a, a little more picture, a little better picture, a little more information on what this church at Philippi was doing. They were one of the churches in Macedonia. And listen to what Paul says. He was writing to the church at Corinth. A church that had a lot more than the church at Philippi, but a church that struggled with what Philippi was able to do, and that was to be content and give. And it says this in 2 Corinthians 8, the first two verses, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, Philippi included there, that in a great trial of affliction, they were very poor and, and impoverished, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. What happened? Even in the midst of their poverty, they were busy focusing on others and giving away what little they had. If I want to be content, no matter where I am in the economic spectrum, I must be a giver. I must be looking to meet the needs of others, whether it's with my time, my finances, caring for other people. And that's a requirement for being content. We are called to look beyond ourselves and only then will we be content. You know, one of the, the great ways that I have found to challenge and increase my contentment, and I have not arrived, but is to go on a mission trip. It takes sacrifice, but it will impact your heart and life greatly. And we always used to say, you know, when, I, when we go on mission trips, the people that we serve, we trust that they'll be blessed, but we can guarantee that we'll be blessed much more as we go. So we have a picture here, and this is a picture of our, our trip to Uganda. And, uh, and God has blessed us in being able to go on many trips over the years. But I remember as we were getting ready to go on one of the trips, I don't know if it was the Uganda trip or, or one of the other ones, one of the, one of the men in church made this statement that I will never forget. He said this, he said, every person should spend a night in jail and a week in a third world country. That will change our perspective. What a powerful statement. Now, the night in jail, I haven't done, and I'm just going to take his word on that one. But the week in the third world country, God is blessed in allowing me to go on mission trips many mission trips throughout the world and every single time I'm reminded of the importance of being content as I see God's provision and the joy in the lives of those people who have so much less than I have. We need to have a different perspective. When we went to Uganda, we were able to, to raise the funds to help provide a building for their school as they were teaching Christian principles to these children in that area of Uganda. We were able to, to be used to help train the teachers who had not been afforded much training. It was an amazing trip as well as the others that we've been on. But to hear someone say, 
you are the answer to our prayer is incredibly humbling. And it's not because of who we are. It's because God chose to use us as tools. And God chose to use our church in, in, in the sacrificial giving in order to provide for that school building for those kids to learn more about Jesus. I will never be content unless I look at life from God's perspective. We need to recognize that. But it's fascinating in these verses. Paul was more excited about the spiritual benefit in the lives of the Philippians than the physical benefit he received from the gift that they sent. Now, he appreciated the gift, but if you read those verses, verses 14 through 18, look at what God's doing in your lives. Look at how God is working in you and the benefits that you have in serving and giving. They were trusting God, and one of the results of their trust would be the commitment that they could have in the midst of difficult circumstances. And I must recognize that I can be content when my focus is on God and others rather than on myself. You know, I will never be content when the focus is on me because there is always something more that I need. But when I take my eyes off myself and focus on others, then I can be content. And finally, contentment can take place and I can be content knowing God's promise in verse 19. It says, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Just like verse 13, this verse is often misused. It's not a promise that God's going to give us everything we want. But it is a promise that He will provide those things we need. And the word supply in verse 19 is the same word translated full in verse 18. But if you remember back in verses 11 and 12, we translate two different words, learn or learned. Two different emphasis of the word. Now, in verse 18, Paul says, because of your gift, I am full. God has used you in my life to satisfy the need that I have. I am full. And then in verse 19, the word, and God shall supply all your need. That word supply is the same word as that word full. We see that God will provide for them as they allow God to use them to provide for others. Just as they made Paul full through their gift, God would fill them or supply their need as they trusted Him. Paul reminded them that God would be generous to them as they were generous to others. You know, each of these five components are, not only, are only obtainable when we trust God. In God we trust. In God I trust, and that will keep me from worry. In God I trust, and that will keep me content. Paul's faith allowed him to be content. Back to verses 11 and 12, whether he had plenty or whether he had little, he was content irregardless of his circumstances. 
irregardless of the money that was in the bank account, the food that was in the refrigerator, the friends that were at his doorstep, he could be content in God and God alone. Talking to Galen this week, and I, I love his definition of faith. Faith is acting as if the promises of God are true. What a powerful statement. I can say I'm content. I can say I trust God, but if I'm busy spending my life trying to get the things that I think will bring happiness and to find the perfect circumstance in order to be happy, I will fail miserably. But if I trust God, then and only then will I be content. Paul was facing dire circumstances. One of more than one time out of more than one where he, uh, he followed the rule of spending a night or more in prison because he wrote Philippians from a prison cell. Or he was in prison, chained between Roman guards. He knew that eventually, and possibly very soon, he would be facing martyrdom. But he could be content because he could trust in a God a God that was provident, he could see ahead. A God that provided, a God that was powerful. He could look at life with God's perspective, and he could trust God's promise. I can be content when I trust God in and for all things. Corrie Tenboom, who uh, you may know her story, she endured a Nazi concentration camp, said this, you will never know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You know, I'm afraid that in our circumstances, it's very easy for us to attempt to find contentment in our own power through things and circumstances but it can only be truly found in God's power through our relationship of trusting Him. I'd like to close with Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Just listen to these words. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For He Himself, that's God, said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Put my trust in the one who is truly trustworthy. Base my contentment on my relationship with the only one who can provide it. And God will help us along the process of being content. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that as Almighty God, You provide contentment. Lord, I am so grateful for the many blessings that You have given to me in my life, that You have given to this church, in the life of our church. But Lord, help us not to look on the things that are provided, but rather to put our trust in You no matter the circumstances. Lord, we will give You the glory and the praise for what You have done and what You will continue to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.